Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. Today we're kicking off a new series called When in Rome, and we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit through the, bit, the book of Romans, and, uh, because really that's what the Apostle Paul did. When you study this a little bit, uh, the Apostle Paul didn't necessarily write this book, but he dictated it. So someone uh, was writing down his thoughts, and so Paul has the tendency to kind of veer off a little bit and talk about one thing, and then talk about another, and then come back and talk about that same thing again, and so... We're going to kind of be following his thoughts a little bit throughout the book. And this week, I really wrestled with uh, how, to, how to kind of kick this series off and how to get it started because there's so much in Romans. There's so much uh, to the theology that we have about our salvation. Uh, you, maybe you've heard of the, the Roman roads before that the, Paul kind of lays out how you can really become saved and follow God and what Jesus' death and resurrection meant for you and me. And so the first part of Paul's book is very theological, and then he gets into the practical. And so today I kind of got to lay a foundation for the series. So it's going to be a little bit deeper than it normally is. And so uh, I understand that deep is a relative term. Uh, I think about, if you think about a swimming pool, right, uh, to uh, my son, deep is the, the shallow end, the steps of the pool. If he doesn't have a floaty on or a life jacket, he's still learning to swim. Uh, for some of you, you know, deep is going to the highest diving board you can find and diving all the way to the bottom of the pool and spending time there. And the challenge that I have as a pastor and a communicator is that some of you are in the shallow end. Some of you are just getting your feet wet. You know, you're just standing on the steps and that's about as far as you can go depth-wise right now. And Paul talks about this throughout the, his, his letters too to where, you know, as, as you become a new Christian, you don't want to, you, you're on milk for a while before you move to meat. And so I, I get it that some of you are, have enough experience and time with the Lord that, that you've been serving God longer than maybe I've been alive. And, and so the challenge that I have is to try to present a very deep theological uh, understanding today that we need to have in a way that we can all get it. But Paul starts this book and he looks at sin, he talks about salvation and then the freedom that we have in in God to live the life that he's called us to live. But as he really starts out this book, he starts out with some bad news. He says, Houston or Rome, we have a problem. There's an issue. And this issue is, is called sin. There's a problem. And we got to address this and we got to figure out how we deal with this and how God dealt with it through his son. And he starts out the, the first few chapters of, of, of this book kind of leveling the playing field. He was writing to Jewish believers who were people who had a foundation of who God was from the Old Testament and then received Christ. And he's also writing to the Gentile believers that they're with. And so if you don't know what a Gentile is, if you aren't Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? Okay. Those were non-Jewish people who had no uh, Old Testament teaching or the law or any of those things. And, and especially in Rome, I mean, they served all kinds of different gods and the Greek mythology, all that kind of stuff was really prominent. And so the Jewish believers, though, were thinking of themselves as better than the Gentile believers. Like, hey, we kind of got, you know, one up on you, even though, you know, Jesus died for everyone. Uh, we have a history with the God that, that he serves. We have a history 
with that and you don't. And so Paul's leveling the playing field and, and what he makes very plain in the first few chapters is, is that we are all sinners, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. You are. If, if you didn't realize that by this time in your life today, uh, we can talk later, but, but, but we're sinners, right? And so Paul levels the plane. He says, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are, whether who, where you were born, who your parents were, we're, we're all sinners. We all have this same issue. We have this same problem. And this sin creates a, a gap between you and God. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings destruction. It brings death. So he said this, this problem of sin isn't a small one. It's huge. And God dealt with it, and God proposes a solution, but this issue with sin is something we're all going to struggle with, we're all going to wrestle with. If we skip ahead to chapter 7, Paul describes it like this, his problem with sin, his issue with sin. He says this, I, I don't understand what I, what I do, for I want to, to do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Try to read that really fast five times, right? There's a lot of do's in there. But if we we kind of break this down, Paul's saying this. He's saying, I know that there's a certain way that I could live that would be better than the way I'm living. I know that if I did certain things, that if I ate a little better, if I worked out more, if I didn't look at this, if I didn't watch that, if I didn't say these things, that that, that would be more of what God would want for me. And I know I'm supposed to do these things, yet I don't do them. But then he, only go, he goes further. He says, so I know I'm supposed to do this, and I don't do it. And then I know I'm not supposed to do this, and I do those things. Can anyone relate this morning? Okay, if you can't, you still, let's rewind. You're a sinner. That's all of us. This is the problem with sin. This is the wrestling match that we have. If I did this, I'd be a better husband. If I did this, I'd, I'd be a better spouse, a father. I, I'd just be a better person. I'd be a better coworker. I, I know that this is what God wants me to do, but yet I don't do those things. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you that, that we know that, that I'm supposed to do a certain thing, but then I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. I don't have the power to do it. And I think the problem may be that we don't know what the problem may be, that we don't really know what the the heart of the problem is and the heart of the issue is and what God really wants to do because you could come here every Sunday and I'm going to tell you things that you need to to start doing and things you need to stop doing and things you need to always do and you're going to sit there and go, "Don't, don't tell me what I need to do. I know what I need to do. The problem is, is when I leave, I don't do it. And then the stuff that I know I'm not supposed to do, I I do those things. And you don't need another book. You don't need another sermon. You don't need another lecture. You don't need someone to tell you to stop doing certain things. You know you shouldn't be looking at that stuff. You know you shouldn't be drinking so much. You know that that there's more for your marriage and your relationship. than you, You know all those things, but yet, why is it so hard to do them? And we ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? What's the problem? And Paul tells us what the issue is, but we've got to rewind a couple chapters to get there. And we go to chapter 5 and verse 6. He says this, You see, at just the right time, 
when we were still powerless, lacking power. So you were powerless, and then what he's alluding to, there's going to be power for you, but you were powerless, you were helpless. Christ died for the ungodly or died for sinners. So when you were powerless to have the ability to overcome sin, Christ died for you, for the ungodly, you and and me. So they say in any issue that you face, the first step towards resolving that issue is to acknowledge that you got a problem. And that's what we first have to acknowledge is that we are ungodly, right? You are imperfect, God is perfect. Therefore, you are unlike God, so you are ungodly. Can we all just take a deep sigh of relief and go, ah, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm ungodly. I got issues. I got problems. Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were yet a sinner, right? Paul's writing this letter to people who were alive when Jesus was alive. You see, we read that with with 2,000 plus years of, of history of going, oh yeah, that was a long time ago that Jesus died. I wasn't even born yet, but he knew I was going to be a sinner, so he died for me even though I was a sinner. Paul's writing to people who were alive. Paul was alive when Jesus died. So Paul's literally saying, while I was sending my brains out away from God, Jesus was willing to still die for me. While I was in the middle of my sin, Jesus died, forgiving the very ones who were killing him, right? That's what he's saying. He's like, he's trying to, 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 to paint this picture of who God is and who does that? We, we wouldn't even be willing, some of us might be willing to die for a person that we really love or we care about, but while I was doing the very thing that Christ was, was not, a, that when he was against, that he would not be pleased of, he was willing to die, only God's love would do that. It goes on in verse 12, he said, when Adam sinned, and we're talking about Adam and Eve, the, the original sin in the Genesis, the, the beginning of, of scripture, where sin entered the world, it said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone had sinned. So Adam's sin caused all to sin. And here, sin isn't just an activity or a verb, it's a noun that results in a verb. Are you following me this morning? So the sin problem is what causes sinning. Are you guys tracking with me? I know some of you are, we're in the deep end a little bit today. This is a theological as we, as we kind of look at this. But the sin problem causes our sin. That even if you're, you're trying to do good, Paul says, I still do what I know I'm not supposed to do. He says, there's something within me, there's a sin thing within me that takes control. So there's a sin problem that causes sinning. And we've all seen the death that Paul's talking about here, that the death that our sin causes. Where, wherever sin goes, death is right behind it. Sin, the wake of sin is death. It's, it's destruction. I've seen it, you've seen it. Marriages destroyed by infidelity. Families destroyed. Lives broken. It's destructive. The only thing that sin brings is death. It's a huge problem. 
There needed to be something to fix it. If we were kind of to divide the room for sake of illustration today, uh, this half of the room, you're going to be Adam, okay? You're the sinner. You're the one who caused all this problems for all of us, all right? So just deal with it. Over here, you're going to be Jesus, right? So here's, here's the picture we got to get. What, what Paul is saying is, is that, that you were once in Adam. We all came from this sin, we're in sin. We're born into sin, right? Like, we can't escape sin. It's, it's a part of who we are. And if you've ever been around a small child, right? Like, as soon as they can start to talk, it's, it's mine, me, I want, my toy, right? That, that, that's naturally who we are. And he's saying there's this contrast between, between who Adam is and who Jesus is, but we're all in him, and so since we come from him, we all sin. Romans 5, verse 15, he goes on, he says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift, the gift of being right with God, in right standing with God. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift, it's a gift, of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So when you become a Christian, what Paul is saying is, is you are taken out of Adam. You are in Adam. That means you were in sin. You're taken out of Adam and you are placed into Jesus Christ. You're in Christ. The contrast is powerful, practical, it's real. And so we, we've probably all heard this on some level before and, and we think, well, all of this is just so we can get to heaven, right? Like, yeah, Christ died so we can go to heaven, and, and, and that's right, but, but what about right now? What does this mean for you and me right now? What are the implications of being in Christ? Isn't just about what happens when we die, but also how we live right now. So Paul's saying there's a difference. If I were to summarize it to, to hopefully make this a little bit easier for you to understand today, is that Jesus saved you from death, eternal life but for life. Saved you from death for life so that you can live the life that God wants you to live. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, everyone who receives it, will live in triumph over sin. Doesn't say will suffer throughout their whole life and make it to heaven, right? That's what we think. Well, I can't, I can't get over all this. No, he says, look, if, if you receive this and if you really understand what it means to live with Christ in Christ and Christ in you, you can live in triumph over sin because of what Jesus has done. Not might, not maybe. No, you will. You will live in victory over sin. You can live that life. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone, a new life. You see, Adam's one act of sin brought condemnation for everyone. It condemned us. We were born into sin. But what Paul's saying here, Jesus' one act of righteousness brings justification for all who are willing to receive what he did. So he's saying Jesus has undone what Adam did. Are you guys still tracking with me? 
All right. I had, to, I had to really get this in me this week. I know this is, is again, theolog- the, the theological side of this can be a little hard to understand, but he's saying that, that this was you. There's nothing you could do about it. You couldn't escape it. Nothing you could have done different. It's who you are. You're a sinner. You're ungodly. But if you receive what Jesus has done, you're now in Christ. And because of what he did, he un, he's undone what he did. And if you're willing to live in that and walk with that and, and acknowledge that, that you have access to freedom and to victory over sin. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And this is what righteousness means, right? This is what salvation means. And what you have to realize today is you are not righteous, right with God, because of what you can do. You, you, you can't earn it, you can't, because you're in Adam, you couldn't do it. That's why God loved you enough that while you were yet a sinner, he sent Jesus. And if you get in Jesus, you are now counted as righteous, not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You're in him. So God doesn't just see you in Adam anymore. He sees you in Christ, so he sees you through the lens of his son's sacrifice. So you're counted righteous. That saves you from death, from hell, that secures your future with God in heaven. But if, if your approach to, to the Christian life is like, hey, thanks Jesus for dying for me, and now I'm going to do my very best to do what's right and to do for you, you're doomed to fail. Because Paul said, I try to do, I can't do, I want to do, I don't do, right? All the do's. And if you try to just go, all right, thank you, Jesus, thank you so much, now I'm going to try to do for you, it's not going to work. That kind of attitude, like, hey, thanks for what you've done for me, now I'm going to do for you, seems really noble. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue certain things, and we're going to get into that in this series, but if you are living out your Christian life, always trying to do to get the approval of being in Christ, you're going to fail. Why? Because Paul says you can't do You can't. So we have to live out of this relationship with Jesus. So Paul wants to teach us how, now that we're in Christ, how do we live out of Christ? And that you can live victorious over sin in this life through Christ. Still following me. You can live victorious over those things that you wrestle with. Some of you have wrestled with it for years, but the problem is is that you've been trying to do in you, in the old you. I'm just trying to do, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get better, I'm trying to read books, I'm trying, you can't do it that way. And the enemy has been holding you captive and keeping you bound in chains for years. And this isn't about whether you're going to heaven or hell, this is about the life you're living in the here and now. You see, we can't just try to be better versions of the old us. That doesn't work. We can't try to live our life out of Adam and try to do better. We have to realize that now we're in Christ. I've become new and I can do through Jesus by allowing him to live through me. Acknowledging that he's in me. Let's go back to Paul's acknowledgement of the problem again. Romans 7, 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do 
I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. That's us, right? Oh, Lord, I know this isn't right. I know, I, I want, I want to do for you, God. I want to overcome this. But he says, but no matter how much passion or how much desire you have, if you're living out of the old you, you won't carry it out. You can't accomplish it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Then he goes on, verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Another translation says a wretched. He says, what a wretched person I am. So whatever Paul was wrestling with here, it was kind of big, right? There was something that he was disgusted about with himself. That here I am, this this church planner. I had this encounter with Jesus where he blinded me and spoke to me and radically changed me. And here I am planning churches and trying to be this Christian leader and write the half of the New Testament. And But yet, I still struggle with that junk. It's you and me, isn't it? I want to do, but I can't do. What, what a miserable person I am. And he goes on in verse 24 and says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Key word there, who. Look at your neighbor and say, who. Not what, right? That's what we do. What will rescue me? What book can I read? What counselor can I go to? What, 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 what can I continually try to do so that I can get over what I need to get over? It's not a counselor. It's not who you can talk to. It's not what you can do. Paul says it's not a what. It's a who. Who will rescue you? There is no what that can save you. Only a who. Only a who. Only a person. Romans 7.25, he goes... So thanks be to God who delivers me, delivers me from this, this sin, from this issue, from the, from the death, from the destruction, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul finally presents the solution to this huge problem. And he says, it's not a what, but most of us try to figure out the what instead of living with the who. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. So today, I want to take the pressure off, okay? The solution is not you. It's a who. It's not you. You cannot do. Paul's made it very clear. All the do's that you want, all the do's you don't want, you do. So it's not a do. It's not a what. It's a who. What Paul is saying here, the contrast he's saying is just as one single act of unrighteousness ensured that you were going to be born in sin, enslaved to sin, so does the single act of righteousness of one man that frees you from the power of sin. You're now in him. Chapter 6, in verse 2, it says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? So Paul's saying, or maybe you don't know. Maybe the problem is, is you don't know what the problem is. Don't you know that all of us were baptized, and here in this word baptized isn't probably what you're thinking, you know, it's not coming up on stage and going in. We have that in a couple weeks. You should definitely do it, and I think many of you are going to want to through this series to say, man, yeah, the old me is dead. The new me in Christ is alive, and it's an amazing thing, but, but this word in the Greek just simply meant to be immersed, 
to be placed in. So he says, don't you know that all of us who were placed into Christ Jesus were also baptized, placed into his death? So all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death. You see, when you were in Adam, you were lost. You were enslaved to sin. Sin was your master. You had no control over it. It told you what to do. It had the upper hand. It was in control. But now that you're in Christ, that sin doesn't have the same control over you. So Jesus, what, is, what Paul's saying here is just as what was true of Adam was true of you, right? You didn't do anything wrong. You were just born, right? Adam, the original sin is what jacked it all up. He's saying just what was true of Adam was true of you because you couldn't do anything about it. Now that you are in Christ, what was true of Christ is now true for you. So all the benefits of his death, all the benefits of his resurrection is true for you. He goes on in verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying you can live a new life. You don't have to continue living the way you used to live. You don't have to stay bound up in that sin. Alcohol doesn't have to rule your life. Sex doesn't have to rule your life. Pornography doesn't have to rule your life. Your addiction to your career and your self-image doesn't have to rule your life. That is old you. That is when sin had the control. That is when sin had the upper hand. But because of Jesus, not because of you, because you can't do enough to undo what, what Adam did, Jesus had to do it for you. But because of what he has done for you, what was true of him is now true of you. Jesus never sinned. He defeated sin, he conquered death, and because of that, you too have the power to overcome that. He says, you can live a new life. Well, how do you do that? Because all of those benefits of his death and resurrection have been applied to you. So heaven, you get that. Eternal life, I get it. Yep, I'm going to heaven we get that part, right? We hold up the sign at the football game, John 3, 16. For God so loved me, he sent his son to the world. If I have eternal life through him, I'll not, never perish. I'll live forever. I'll get to go to heaven. We love that part. It's great. But God also came to give you life in the here and now. Jesus said, I've, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Not that you have to suffer through life, literally going through hell so you can get to heaven. He has more for you than, to that. That Christ's death also gives you life in this world. Freedom from sin in this world. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, dead to that, in Christ, is set free from sin. Free. You can live free. You can be all that God wants you to be, and in the coming weeks, we're going to get more into the practical side of this, but the truth is this morning is if you don't get the foundation, if you don't understand the, the, this theological truth when it comes to who you are, in Jesus Christ, you'll never be free, and if I could summarize it for you today, it's this. I think you're, you're tracking with me that you are no longer in Adam because of your faith in Jesus. You're now in Christ, so you are in Christ. But 
Christ is also in you. Are you with me? So you are in him. He is in you. So the reason you get to go to heaven, eternal life, is because you're in Christ. You're clothed with his righteousness, not your own. It's not because of what you can do. It's what he has done for you. You're clothed in righteousness. God sees the sacrifice of his son. He he counts you as righteous. You are in Christ. You have eternal life through him. So the reason you can get to heaven is because you're in Christ. And the reason you can live victorious in this life is because Christ is in you. He's in you. His power is in you. Jesus told his disciples, right? They're they're tripping out. He's about to leave. And he's like, I'm about to die. I'm about to go away. And he says, but listen, this is good for you. And they're like, how's this good? How's this good, Jesus? We're your disciples. We follow you. Who are you going to follow when you're gone? He says, but listen, this is a good thing because when I go, the Father's then going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes the one that lives in you. And he says, the same power that's going to raise me from the dead is going to live inside of you. And he tells his disciples, don't freak out because you're going to even get to do greater things than I've done. And they're like, well, wait a second. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You healed blind people, leopard people, lame people. Like, I, I'll have the power. I'll have access to that power. Absolutely. So you have access to that same power if you choose to access it. And so if sin is whooping your tail, it's because you're living out of Adam. You're trying to do. You're trying to do it on your own. Instead of accessing the power that's in Christ that has been made available to you. So does this mean that you'll never sin again? Or No, but it means is that sin has lost its power to control you. You see, when I was out of Christ, I didn't have the power to say no. Because Jesus wasn't in me. So sin ruled over me. I couldn't say no. It controlled me. It, it, it dictated. It called the shots. But now that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I have the ability to say no. I have the power to turn from the old me, to walk away, to bury it in death, to be alive in Christ. I have that power. You have that power. It's just dependent upon if you access it. If you tap into the power, and in the coming week, we're going to talk about how you can do that. But it's in you. You've got to understand that it's in you because Christ is in you and he said no to sin and defeated it through his resurrection. You can too. Verse 8 of chapter 6. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live, live with him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So now Paul gets to the application. The band's going to come. We're going to close out. In verse 11, 14, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law. You're under grace. He's saying you're not under the old law because you couldn't live up to that. You're under grace. You're in Christ. So now you have the power to say no to sin because you are in Christ. And Paul gets to the application. And what he's saying is this, is you've got to believe this. You've got to acknowledge the problem. That's me. Yep. Paul, that's me. I do I, all the do's, all the do's. I do want to do all the do's. I don't want to do. I do, I do, I do, I do. 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. I've been walking with God for for this many years, 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years, and yet I still wrestle with the things that I don't want to do. What can save me? What a miserable person. What can, no, not what can save me. Who can save me? Jesus can save you. He saved you from death for life. You are in Christ, but Christ is also in you. So you have the power. Are you choosing to access the power? Are you acknowledging that he's in you? And if you're like me, though, we go through our day and we barely talk to him. I go into a meeting. I go into a problem. I, I get mad at my wife and I'm, I'm loaded, locked and loaded, ready for her to come home and tell her how everything was wrong and it's her fault. And right, like, that's a me. That's what I, I don't want to do that, but I do that. I compete with people that I should be collaborating with and I find myself doing those things and I can just go about my day and I never acknowledge that I'm still in Adam. I'm still acting out of myself and out of my sin and I haven't stepped into who I am in Christ. And have you ever thought about before you go into that meeting, before you have that confrontation where you just go, Jesus, you're in me. Lord, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, my flesh, my sin, Lord, it, it could rule us. So Lord, I choose to step away from that. And Lord, I acknowledge that you're here. What what do you want me to do? God, can you move through me? Just simply acknowledging that he's there. You have access. The power is there. You're in Christ, so he's with you. You can't leave him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But it says that he knocks. He stands at the door of your heart. He knocks every day. Hey, will will you let me come in? I can give you victory. I can restore your marriage. I can break that addiction in your life. If if you'll just let me, I'm here. But will you let me? Will you seek me? He says, when you seek me, you find me. When you pursue me, I'm there. But I need you to do that part. That's the faith part. He did all the work, but all you got to do is receive it. You got to step in faith and go, I'm in you. God, you're in me. God, help me to walk in that. To pray, to seek you, to invest your word into my life, to do the things, God, that, that... that give you, me the power that I need to be who you've called me to be. So Paul says it's sin, you're not my master. I don't have to listen to you. You have no control over me. You used to, I acknowledge that, but I was in Adam then, now I'm in Christ and he's in me. So I have the power to say no to you, sin. You can't control me the way you used to. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. But you gotta believe that. You gotta say it, you gotta believe it, you gotta say it, you gotta believe it, and you do it over and over again, you do it a hundred times a day, a thousand times a day, however many times you're tempted, when you wanna walk in the flesh, you say, no flesh, sin is not my master. I am dead to sin, I am alive in God. Sin is not my master. I am dead to sin, and I am alive in God. And you keep saying it, and you keep living it out. Sometimes you need to shout it, sometimes you're gonna be in an environment where you just whisper it under your breath sin. You're not my master. I'm dead to you. I'm alive in God. Jesus, live through me. I give you permission. Lead the way. Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. Part two of the series, we're going to talk a little bit more of the practical side of that and how we allow the who is in us to help us control the what. But it starts with understanding who you are in God what he's made available to you through the death and the resurrection of his son. So today, regardless of what you came in here carrying, 
regardless of what sin you're continuing to wrestle with, we're all like Paul in some way, shape, or form. We all have issues. But for some of you, I'm truly believing through this series, you're gonna be free once and for all. God's gonna set you free to be who you've called you to be, to live out the plan that he has for you. But we gotta believe it. And we gotta say it over and over again. We tell sin, you're not in control anymore. If I tried to go against you on my own, I'd lose. But thankfully, I'm not on my own. I'm in Christ. God views me as righteous. I'm his kid. He loves me. I'm I'm secure in my identity of that. And then I acknowledge that he is in me. And Jesus said that I can do all things through him that is within me, even raise people from the dead, if that so be his will. So I can surely stop looking at that. I can quit drinking. Not on me, but with Christ in me. Would you stand with me today? We're going to sing and close the song together, sing the song together. And this song simply just says, Lord, pull me closer to you. Because listen, the closer you can get to him, the further you're going to get away from sin. The closer you can get to him, the more power you're going to have to defeat sin. And that's it. Lord, I'm acknowledging you're here, that you're knocking, and that you want to relate with me. You want to talk to me. You want to lead me. And I just got to give you access. I just got to give you permission. And so as we sing this truth today, Lord, pull me closer. Take me deeper. Lord, take me deeper in my relationship with you. Empower me, God, to be who you called me to be. There's no doubt you want to be free, right? I hope so. I hope you want to break free from that junk. I hope you want your marriage to get better. I hope you want your kids to be better. I hope you want your career to be better. I hope you want to quit lying and cheating and doing those things that you've been doing for years. God wants to set us free. He desires for us to live free. If you'll walk in his freedom. If you'll give him glory. If you'll acknowledge he's with you. He'll give you the power to be who he's called you to be. Lord, we love you. Lord, we're unworthy of your gift of salvation, but Lord, with faith, we receive it. We believe it, that we are in you, not because of what we can do, because of what you've done for us. We are right with our Heavenly Father. We can approach him. And Lord, we have access to the power that raised you from the dead if we will simply give you permission, bring you into our life, talk with you, worship you. So in this moment, we do that. We draw closer. And we're thankful that when we take a step towards you, you take an even bigger one towards us. And that when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. And when we find you, we find exactly what we need.